0: Well, good morning, my name is Dale, and uh, my wife and I are part of LCF for about eight years, and I'm glad to be able to continue in this series that we're doing on Genesis. What is wrong with people? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Yeah, me too. I think I've asked that question more in the last two or three years than I have in my entire life. Like, what is wrong with people that they would march into a store or an elementary school and take the lives of people they don't even know? What is wrong with them? What is wrong with a guy who would sneak into a university dorm in the middle of the night and take the lives of four students he didn't even know? How could anyone be so devoid of feelings that they would snuff out the lives of children just to spite their ex? Or how can a respected spiritual leader, a man who travels the world preaching the gospel, writing books that change the lives of thousands of people, do all of that and at the same time be visiting massage parlors to satisfy his hidden desires? What's wrong with him? Or what is wrong with the moral fabric of our country today that fully one in four internet searches is now a search for pornographic content? How can it be that 50% of church-going young men admit to regularly viewing porn, or that 30% of spiritual leaders admit to having viewed it at least once in the last 30 days. What is wrong with our world? But you know, you don't have to be a, a mass murderer or someone who preaches on Sundays and visits hookers on Mondays or someone who is addicted to porn, you don't have to be guilty of any of those things to recognize that maybe more than you'd like to admit it, there's something wrong with you too. Like, what is wrong with me that after 57 years of walking with Jesus, I can still get so ticked at my wife Over the dorkiest little things. Like a lost house key. I'm not making this up. She says to me, what happened to the extra house key? And I reply, I don't know. I haven't used it in two weeks. And she replies, well, it it was there yesterday and now it isn't. To which I say, well, then you must have moved it. To which she says, well... I know I didn't touch it. Now, I'm not a Rhodes Scholar, but I can read between the lines. She thinks I lost that key. Man, that chafes me. Like, when that happens, I wish I could throw down the red challenge flag and have an instant replay. But the thing is, if I could do that, What would bug me even more is that she'd be the one saying, I love the part where you said you haven't touched it in two weeks. (sighs) You know, I I can pout over something like that for like two hours easily. And it's a $2 key. Like, what is wrong with me? Or, what is wrong with you that you can be as sweet as honey when you walk through those front doors this morning? And yet, you couldn't say a civil word to your spouse or your teenage daughter on the way here. Today, I want to talk with you about what is wrong with people, including you and me. And how we can make it right. So, I'd like to invite you to listen or to follow along as I read the first 12 verses of Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4. Beginning with verse 1. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of Cain, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it'll no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now here's a question. How is it possible that murder could impact what started out to be the most perfect family in history. Now, albeit they sinned and were no longer perfect, but I mean, it didn't even wait a couple generations. Adam and Eve have two boys, and the older one kills the younger one. And it wasn't over like a drug deal gone bad or or a stolen girlfriend. It was over worship. How is that possible? And how is it possible that Cain could have a personal encounter with God where God actually spoke to him about his anger problem and warned him what the consequences would be if he didn't deal with it, and then Cain turns around, goes out, and kills him anyway? Like, how can you talk to God and then go and do that? What is wrong with people? Well, I have four things to say this morning in response to that question, and the first is this. What is wrong with people is not their circumstances. We often like to blame our circumstances. We say things like, well, if I could just change my environment, if I had a bit more money, if I just had a little bit more time, if I didn't have this chronic health issue, if I didn't have to work in such a pressure cooker, if people wouldn't push my buttons, if I hadn't inherited my dad's temper, then I'd be happy, then I'd be easier to live with, then I'd get my life put back together. Or sometimes people play the card and say, you know, if we could just provide poor kids with free computers and free internet and free books and free meals, then they wouldn't be delinquent anymore. Or if we could just take guns and knives and baseball bats and cars and explosives and airplanes away from people, then they wouldn't kill anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. Circumstances and environment can exacerbate the problem, but the problem's already there. You put an AR-15 into the hands of a guy who's angry and a little bit demented, and you're going to have bad results. But the core problem is not our circumstances. It's not our environment. Cain's problem was not that he'd had a bad harvest and the vegetables had been bad that year and so he only had bad stuff to offer. It wasn't that he had gone into the wrong line of work that, you know, he should have been raising sheep instead of cucumbers. His problem was not that God had cursed the ground with thorns and now he had an anger problem because it wouldn't grow very well. So, first of all, what is wrong with people is not their circumstances, it's not their environment. Secondly, what is wrong with people is not other people. We often like to blame the other guy. We think that the problem is the people in our lives. If I could just fix my wife, or better yet, if I could just dump my wife and get like a version 2.0, or if I could just fix my kids' behavior, or kids, if my parents would just lighten up, or if um, my boss wasn't such a butthead, or if I hadn't grown up in such a dysfunctional family, if my father hadn't been an alcoholic, if my husband were more understanding and gentle, then I wouldn't be so angry, then I wouldn't be so anxious or so demanding, hard to live with, rebellious, deceitful, then I wouldn't struggle with addictions and so on. Men, do you want to... A little bit of proof that the problem isn't your wife? Well, they say in America that 50% of all marriages, first marriages, end in divorce. Now, you might think that if the problem is the spouse, then you, know, you get rid of the bum you married the first time, you marry right the second time, and the divorce rate goes down, right? That's not what happens. 50% of first marriages end in divorce. of second marriages end in divorce. And in case you think the third time's a charm, 74% of third marriages end in divorce. Now, don't get me wrong. People can exacerbate the problem. And there are, I, I know that some people marry Marry bad. There are a lot of bad guys out there. There are some bad wives out there even. There are bad bosses. There are bad neighbors. Sometimes the person is a big part of the problem. And if you're in a marriage that, that, is, that is broken badly, if you're in a, I'm not saying that, that if, if you're in a, uh, an abusive marriage, just hang in there because the problem's you. No, the problem's not. You need, to, you need help. You need to tell somebody. I'm simply saying... That when we think that getting a different person is going to fix the problem, we're wrong. Because the problem is not other people. Cain's problem was not his brother. Cain's problem was not that little bro was just too nice and he couldn't measure up. Cain's problem was not his parents. Cain's problem was not that God was being unreasonable. Cain's Cain's problem was Cain. And that's the third thing I want to say this morning. The problem, what is wrong with people, is their heart. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. The problem is not my wife. The problem is my wife's husband. The problem is not what I do either. It's not my behavior, it's who I am. That's the problem. It's not just about changing my behavior, it's about changing who I am, my nature. That's the problem. Last year in January, a 21-year-old man named Corey Johnson was sentenced to spend the rest of his life in prison for fatally stabbing a 13-year-old boy on his birthday during a 2018 sleepover over comments deemed an affront to his Islamic faith. He also nearly killed two other boys that evening at the same time. During his sentencing, Corey said this, I wish I could take it back. I wish I could do something to make this right. I am truly in disbelief that I could have done something so terrible. That is not who I am. Well, sorry, Corey, but that is who you are that's the problem that is who all of us are in one way or another when we give vent to the fullness of our ruined hearts do you remember the story of the pharisee and the tax collector who went up to the temple uh, the temple in jerusalem to pray it's recorded in luke chapter 18 it goes like this two men went up to the temple to pray one a pharisee the other a tax collector The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even this tax collector. Well, buddy, I got news for you. You are 100% wrong. The problem is that you are like other people. And the bigger problem is that you think you aren't. You think you don't have this sin problem. You got a big problem. My daughter called us a while back, was talking about her two boys and how the five-year-old Evan can push the buttons of his eight-year-old brother Luke and and set him into a frenzy in no time. And one evening, Luke, the eight-year-old, was talking with his mom, and he broke down in tears, and he says, I don't like who I am. My daughter thought, oh, no. Like, is he going to harm himself? And then she realized he was simply talking that he didn't like what was coming out of his heart. He had put his faith in Christ earlier that year, and he was starting to see all this this rottenness leaking out of his heart, and he said, I don't like what I see. Well, man, I think, you know, he's got theology 101 down better than most of us. That is not normal. What is normal is that we are all hardwired to delude ourselves. We are all hardwired to convince ourselves that compared to the next guy, We're not so bad. Do you know that 93% of people, when they are asked the question, if they think they are better than average drivers, answer yes. Do you you know it is mathematically impossible for 93% of us to be in the top 50% of drivers? Just in case you're wondering, I am in the top 50, but a lot of people aren't. We are excuse machines, says author Brand Hansen. This is a, a really easy read. It's a fun book to read. It's called The Truth About Us, The Very Good News About How Very Bad We Are. He says, we are excuse machines. He compares us to political press secretaries in our ability to invent ridiculous excuses for our behavior. Some of my favorite examples, he says, are from sports like in the World Series when legendary pitcher Roger Clemens actually picked up a piece of broken bat and threw it at a base runner with whom he had had an incident earlier. He explained after that it was all an accident because he confused a bat with a ball. (laughs) Then Hansen adds tongue-in-cheek, Note to Roger, you're not supposed to throw the ball at runners either. Well, when God confronted Cain with what he'd done to his brother, how does he respond? Well, brother? Where? How am I supposed to know? Am I my brother's keeper? You know, he responded like we often respond when we're confronted with stuff we don't like. We excuse, we deflect, we point the finger, we play dumb. And do you know why he did that? And do you know why we do that? Because his parents did that. God comes to Adam and says, Adam, did you eat of the fruit of the tree that I told you not to eat? He says, my wife gave it to me. Eve, the pesky serpent. That's how we're hardwired. You see, what was wrong with Cain was the same thing that is wrong with Adam and with Eve and with Roger the bat thrower and Evan the button pusher and Luke the meltdowner. And Phil, the Pharisee, and Corey, the killer, and every single one of us in this room. What is wrong with me is me. Let's just all say that today. It'll be very therapeutic for you, trust me. What is wrong with me is me. That wasn't very much conviction. Let's do it again. Come on. What is Oh, much better. But I think I heard someone say, what is wrong with you is you. (laughs) Yeah, It's just really hard to admit, isn't it? Well, the apostle Paul got it. He cries out in Romans chapter 7. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. That's the problem. The wretchedness of my heart. Listen to what Paul says there in Romans 7, verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. And what I hate, I do. Like, what is wrong with that guy? Why would he not do what he wants to do and instead do what he hates doing? Well, have you ever experienced that? You know, where you you don't want to keep doing this thing that you know makes you miserable, and yet you don't want to let go of doing what makes you miserable. Like, have you ever noticed how miserable anger makes you? And yet, how you just want to hang on to that, even though you hate it. That's what Paul was talking about. He says it again in verse 19. I don't do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, I keep doing. Like, why? What is wrong with you, Paul? Then he tells us in verses 20 and 21, if I'm doing the very thing I don't want to do, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin, which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Now, Paul is not passing the buck here and saying, well, it's not really me who's doing the sin. No, he's simply trying to explain why when he wants to do right, he does wrong. And the answer is because evil is present in me. Sin lives in my heart. That's why. That's exactly what God said to Cain. He said, what's wrong with you? Why are you so angry? Doesn't feel good, does it? You don't really like the way you feel, do you? Do the right thing, and you'll be approved. Do the right thing, and you'll be happy. Do the wrong thing, and sin will eat your lunch. Sin is like crouching at your door, ready to spring. He says... It wants to master you, but you must master it. That's the problem. It's that sin which lives in me wants to control me. And God says, but you must master it. Now, what is wrong with people is not their environment or their circumstances or other people. What is wrong with people is people. What is wrong with people is themselves. What is wrong with people is a heart that is so ruined and so rotten. And corrupt and deceitful, that no matter how hard they try, they can't master it. So then, why would God tell Cain that he had to master it? Like, isn't that that a little disingenuous? Say, you gotta master it, but I know you can't. Isn't that an exercise in futility to tell us to master something we can't master? Well, let me ask you something else. Was there anyone else in this story who did achieve? mastering their heart in this situation. Yeah, his name was Abel. Yeah, Abel did the right thing. The question is, how did he do that? You see, God had apparently told Adam's family what he desired as an offering for sin. He said, I want the shed blood of an animal. Only the shed blood of an animal could temporarily cover their sin. And I say temporarily because Scripture tells us an animal sacrifice cannot take away sin. It simply covered sin until the coming of the Messiah, the perfect Lamb of God. The reason we know that that God had told Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve as well is because God asked Cain, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? You know what the right thing to do is. The reason he knew what was right was because somewhere along the line, God had told him the right thing is you need to shed the blood of an animal to cover your sins. Now, fruit and vegetable offerings were acceptable for other things like a Thanksgiving offering, but only blood sacrifice could cover their sin. And it wasn't just any animal. It had to be the first and the best. And that's what we're told Abel brought. In fact, the contrast is not perhaps so much as between an animal and an offering from the ground, as it was also the quality of the offering. This passage tells us that Cain brought an offering from the ground, but it says Abel brought the first fruits and the fat. In other words, he brought the first and the best. But the question is how? Like, How did he do what Cain could not do? How did Abel master sin when Cain seemed incapable of mastering it? Do you do it by trying harder? Do you do it because Abel is just a nice guy? You know, some people are just nice guys. Do you know how the Bible says Abel did it? The Bible tells us that Abel was able to master his heart in that situation by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, that great faith chapter, says this in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen for by it by faith the people of old people like Abel received their commendation and then he actually mentions Abel in verse 4 he says by faith that's how he did it by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous Abel was not approved by God because God loved uh, lambs better than he loved legumes. No. Abel was approved by God because Abel responded to what God said in faith. He believed God, even if it didn't make sense. And I imagine maybe for both of them it didn't make a lot of sense. I imagine Cain thought to himself, why do I have to bring an animal offering when a nice bushel of apples should be just as good? Answer? Because God said he requires a blood sacrifice to cover your sin. Maybe Abel also wondered, why should I give God the first and the best of my flock? Why can't I just give him one of the weak or sickly ones? I mean, blood is blood, right? And he's just going to burn it up on the altar anyway. Answer, because God said he requires the first and the best, not the last and the worst. How did Abel master sin? He did it by faith. He did it by choosing God's truth over his truth. By saying, okay, I believe it. Whether it makes sense, I'm going to act on it. What is wrong with people? What is wrong with us? What is wrong with you and me is our sin-saturated, self-deceiving, desperately wicked heart. That's what's wrong. And the only way to master it, the only way to defeat it, the only way to consistently win this battle between doing what I don't want to do and doing what in the depths of my heart I really want to do to please God, the only way to master it is by faith. But what does that mean? What does that look like? How do I actually do that? What does it mean to respond to sin's power by faith? What is it that I actually need to believe Well, for starters, if you're someone who has never believed the wonderful news that Jesus Christ died for your sins and came back to life three days later, and that he offers you a free gift of forgiveness and eternal life if you just put your faith in him, if you've never believed that, that's where you need to start. It doesn't make much sense to believe other stuff that God says if you don't start where he starts. If you haven't believed that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. But for those of us who have believed in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, what does it mean to believe him for freedom from our sins? What does it mean to respond by faith to this never-ending battle for mastery over my sinful heart? Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith... It's impossible to please him. That doesn't simply mean it's impossible to get to heaven without faith. It also means it's impossible to get through life. You cannot please God as you go through life without faith. You cannot get through this next hour in a God-pleasing way without faith. I cannot get through the next lost key incident in a God-pleasing way without faith. Whatever your buttons are that your spouse or your kids or your boss pushes, whatever your unique temptations are that regularly trip you up, whatever your unique what is wrong with me issues are, you cannot get through the next one of them in a pleasing way to God without faith. And here's what that means. In Romans chapter 1, Paul gives the most comprehensive description of the gospel, I think, anywhere in scripture, and if we ever hope to understand what it means to believe God, we need to understand what is the gospel, because that's the foundation of what it means to believe God. So look at what Paul says there in Romans 1 verse 13. He says, "'I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you so that I may obtain some fruit among you also.'" Who's he writing this to? Believers or unbelievers? Believers. Brothers. He's writing to the brothers and sisters in Christ in Rome. I don't want you to be unaware, brethren. And then he says in verse 15, So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, hold on. Why would he want to preach the gospel to a bunch of brethren? Why would he want to preach the gospel to Christians? Aren't they already saved? Well, could it be that Christians still need the gospel? Could it be that we have this truncated understanding of the gospel where we think it only, we're only needed up to the cross, and once we believe and we have our ticket to heaven, we don't need the gospel? Could it be that the gospel is about much more than just getting our sins forgiven and getting to heaven? Well, let's read on. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Now, how does Paul describe the gospel here? It's, it's all on the screen, so you can answer these quite easily, I think. What is the gospel? It is the power of God, okay? What does it do? It is the power of God for Salvation, it saves you. It's the power of God for salvation. Who is it for? Anyone and everyone. It's the power of God for salvation to anyone. How do you get it? You believe. It's the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. And what do you get when you believe the gospel? What does God reveal? What does God impart through the gospel? His righteousness. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is imparted. So by faith, by believing the gospel, I get what I desperately need. His righteousness, his perfection, his power over sin, in exchange for my sinfulness, my brokenness, and my powerlessness over sin. And what's the expiration date on it? At what point does my need for the gospel expire? Never. What does he say? He says there, it is the righteousness of God from faith to faith. It doesn't expire after I believe in Jesus and he forgives my sins so that I can go to heaven. No, it is the righteousness of God from faith to faith. Some translations say from beginning to end, or from start to finish, or from the moment of salvation to the end of time. It is the righteousness of God. From the beginning to the end. It is not just what I need to get saved. It's what I need to get all through life. It's what you need not just to get started. It's it's what you need to get finished. And everything in between. The gospel is not just for sinners. It's for saints. In fact, I would argue it may even be more for saints than it is for sinners. Yes, it's for sinners to get them to pass from darkness to light, from death to life, but it's for saints who need to believe it for the rest of their lives. Paul says, it's the righteousness of God from start to finish, just as it is written, for the wicked man shall live, no, for the righteous man shall live by faith. The righteous man and woman needs the gospel, faith in the gospel. What kind of faith? Faith in the gospel. The gospel is not just about getting to heaven. The gospel is about getting through life. It's not just about righteous standing before God. It's about righteous living before God. It is about the righteousness of God from start to finish. It is the power that saves me from sin forever. And it is the power that saves me, that frees me from sin right now. It is about trusting in the righteousness of Christ for life eternal, and it is about trusting in the righteousness of Christ for life right now. So, when my wife says to me, well, I know I didn't touch it, I have a choice to make right then and there. I can either give her what I got, or I can give her what he's got. I can either give her a response... That comes from my stuff, my sinful heart, the hurts, the frustrations, the misunderstandings, the injustices, the fatigue of my day or my life. I can either respond to her with that or I can give her his stuff. The gentleness, the kindness, the humility, the grace, the compassion, the love, the peace that Jesus stands ready to give us if we really want it. That's the gospel. It is the righteousness of Christ for right now. And if I choose in that moment to give her what I've got, not what he has, if I choose to give her what I got, to give her my stuff, my frustration, my anger, my witty comeback, my sinful heart, rather than what Jesus has, and believe me, I choose to do that way too often. If I choose to give her my stuff, then she now has the same choice as I had just seconds before. She can either give me her stuff or she can give me his stuff. And it is as simple as saying, Lord Jesus, I don't have what Dale needs right now. All I have is anger and frustration and resentment. I need your gentleness. I need your patience. I need your love. I need your humility. Give it to me right now. And if she really wants it, she can turn to me and say, honey, I'm sorry for accusing you of losing the key. That's, that's ridiculous. Would you forgive me? And if she says that, it changes everything. And it's the only way to master sin. You take hold of the righteousness of God... By faith in the word of God. You elevate what he says over what you think or what you say. And it can be done in the power of the spirit of God. The righteousness of God revealed in the word of God by the power of the spirit of God. Now Abel didn't have the indwelling spirit of God. And yet he won the battle in his heart by giving God what he asked for by faith. By faith, he elevated what God said above what he thought. The only way to beat the sinful impulses of our hearts is to know what God says, to believe what God says, and to, by faith, take hold of what God says. To embrace it, to appropriate it, to cling to it, to depend on it, to submit myself and my thoughts and my will to it. And say, give it to me, Lord Jesus, because I don't have it. And perhaps it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. The only way to have a fresh, vital faith in what God says is to continually be putting this book into your heart. And God is able to take His truth and use it in your heart in those moments when you realize you don't have what is needed. Romans ten seventeen 17 says, Faith That's what I want. Our faith response comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. What is wrong with people from serial killers to serial key losers is that our hearts are wicked, ruined, saturated with sin, hopelessly incapable of consistently doing what is right, and utterly incapable of pleasing God. And that's bad news. And the only remedy is to embrace the gospel, God's righteousness forever and for right now by faith. And that's great news. Let's um, turn some of these thoughts back to the Lord in worship as we sing a couple of songs.